0: I'm excited that you're here. It's great to be with you. We're in week three of this series that we've been doing that uh, we're calling Jesus is far greater, which we're learning is basically the theme of the book of Hebrews. And this series is all uh, being taken from the book of Hebrews. And we've learned the last couple of weeks that uh The author of this letter uh, to the Hebrews is uh, expounding on the fact that Jesus is far greater than anything. He's far greater than anyone. He's far greater than any place. Jesus, your Savior, is enough. He is adequate and he He is good. And so our text today is going to be speaking to us, and I appreciate uh, Brandon McNew, one of our our board members, uh, reading our scripture for us in our worship this morning. But you saw the theme there in that passage of scripture, and we'll be looking at it again. But it's speaking to, uh, in our relationship with Jesus and our spiritual walk, this passage speaks to those who are infants and those who are mature. And so with that in mind this morning, I began to think uh, to myself, how do we determine in the church who is spiritually mature and who is spiritually immature? So if that were left to you, and don't answer this out loud, but if it were left to you, what, what would you use to determine who is mature and who is not mature? And all the women in the church are thinking right now, the men are definitely the immature ones, right? And, and I'm good with that, because for men, every day is Saturday. I mean, you just never know. Uh, we're going to enjoy the moment. But how do we determine in the church who is spiritually mature and who isn't? Is it determined by perfect attendance? You know, when I was a child, uh, that was a big deal. Perfect attendance in church was a big deal. Uh, if you uh, had perfect attendance for a year, you actually would get a little pin. Uh, some folks would get a five year pin and a 10 year pin. Uh, Lynette, you got like a 15 year pin? No, that wasn't you. Ten? Nine. You couldn't make it to ten? Good grief she's a preacher's wife. She only went to church nine years in a row without missing. I mean, really? But, you know, we used to recognize people for that. It would be uh, rather embarrassing today if we continue that practice, wouldn't it? But is someone's maturity determined by their attendance? Is it determined by... How someone dresses? Do, do we determine if someone is mature by the number of verses that you have highlighted in your Bible? I, I mean, if y'all want to really make an impression on other people, here's what I would do if I were y'all. Go buy a new Bible, okay? And run over that sucker a few times with the car. Um, bring it back in the house and get like three different colored highlighters and just highlight everything in the Bible. All right, and then bring it to church. People are going to be blown away by your spiritual maturity level if you do that. Um, But do we determine someone's maturity by that? Or maybe we would consider someone a mature Christian if they can name all the Ten Commandments and name the twelve tribes of Israel and name the the twelve disciples. But, but, you know, seriously, it, it's our human tendency to try to define spiritual maturity as some sort of behavior, something that we do, something uh, some sort of action uh, that we live out, and the exterior things that we can see, In someone's life. Well, today uh, in our scripture, we're gonna see the writer speak to us about this spiritual maturity and immaturity. Now, for those of you that have been here for the last couple of weeks, you know that we have discussed each week who this letter was written to because it's extremely important. It's very important that we understand the context of what we're reading and, and, and what we're learning from here. But this letter had been written to Jews who had actually converted to Christianity. They had actually heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and that He came to be the Messiah, and they had actually accepted that, and they had become followers of Jesus, and they had placed their faith in Him, and the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But what we've seen is beginning to happen in their lives is this. Uh, They're beginning to waver a little bit. They're beginning to have doubts because... This is about 35 years after Jesus has left, right? And he, he, he died on the cross, he was buried in a tomb, three days later he was resurrected and over, there were over 500 different witnesses that gave accounts to the fact that they saw uh, Jesus Christ alive after that fact, but now he's been gone for 35 years and he said that he was coming back. And so... They're beginning to wonder, you know, have we been sold, you know, a, a, a bill of goods here? Uh, uh, is this really true? And so they're beginning to, uh, to waver. They're caught between uh, what we talked about last week. They're caught between this faith in Jesus as the Savior and the Messiah. And they're still kind of lingering back in the days of Moses and the laws of Moses and all the things that they were raised on and taught as children and and young people. And so uh, they're caught in between trusting Jesus or trusting their performance, trusting how many boxes they could check on this list of rules that had been put together by uh, these Old Testament laws. And, And they're caught in between this and In Jesus and and what they are actually more comfortable with, and so we begin to see there that they begin this drift that we talked about, away from Jesus, away from the things of Jesus, away from the family of Jesus, and you're starting to see this drift take place in their faith, and so we have to keep that in context as we look at these scriptures and we read the book of Hebrews, okay? And so we're going to pick up this morning uh, right where we left off last week in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. And he's talking about Jesus being our great high priest. And I'm going to read it again. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Let's hold firmly to that. There's no room for waver. There's there's no room in that for doubt. There's no room in there for for drifting. Let's, Let's not waver in the fact that we have this great high priest who, yes, has ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God. Let us hold firmly to that faith and that trust and that hope that we professed in him. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so the reminder here, this mention to the fact that Jesus is our great high priest speaks to the fact that yes, he is high and lifted up. Yes, he is Lord of lords and King of kings. He is supreme. He is God. He is far greater than anything that this world's going to offer you that they want you to trust or place your, your hope in. He's far greater. But, like we talked about, uh, last week he, yes he is high and lifted up yes he sits at the right hand uh, of the father yes he is lord yes he is supreme yes he is god but he is not distant he is not distant from us he is not absent from our lives he is actively he wants to be actively involved in our lives as any father any good father would want to be with their children be actively involved He wants to be actively involved in his children's lives. As we saw last week, and I couldn't help but think of it uh, as we sang that song uh, that we're going to see a victory. I couldn't help but get that vision that Joshua had of Jesus standing before him with his sword drawn. and That that was a a, a powerful vision passage last week and message that we heard if you aren't here I encourage you to go back and listen to it I believe that you could get some victory in your life there but he is actively involved with his sword drawn and because of that verse 16 goes on to say let us then thinking of him in that term thinking of him as someone who wants to be actively involved let us then approach his throne of grace with confidence Other translations of of this scripture say boldly. Let's approach him boldly, right? Approach the throne of grace boldly with confidence so that we may receive mercy and so that we might find grace to help us in our time of need. So the writer is saying, we have this great high priest who is Jesus. He is fully God and he is also fully man. Not only that, but he is fully in control, he is fully in charge, and he is fully engaged and active in our lives if we're trusting him and placing, placing our faith in him. Let's go to him, amen? Let's go to him because this is who he is and this is what he does. So let's go to him because he is far greater. Let's go to him and tell him our problems. Let's go to him and tell him our struggles. Let's go to him and tell him our difficulties that we're having, the challenges in our life, instead of going to Facebook. God, let that work a minute. Let's go to our Father. You can picture this, someone shared years ago, I don't remember who it was, it maybe have been Brother Sanders, but you can kind of picture this invitation to approach the, the throne of God courageously and boldly when you think of the relationship between a parent and a child. And you can kind of think of this like a kid running in the house with their parents that are there present in the house. You know, I, I, I mean, think about it. When you were a kid, or when I was a kid at least, uh, I, when, I, when I wanted to go in the house, I didn't have to ring the doorbell, right? When I wanted to go in the house, I, I didn't have to knock. But when I wanted to go in the house where my parents were, I didn't have to ask uh, permission to, to go into my own house. What did we do? We ran in the door, you know, and, and and slung open the refrigerator door and yelled, Mom, what are we having for supper, right? I mean, that's how we approached our parents. That's how we approached our mom and, and, and our dad. And that's kind of like the picture here is we have this same kind of access to this great high priest who, oh yeah, by the way, he is high and lifted up, but he is also your Abba Father. He's your daddy. And he wants to be in a good relationship Uh, with you. And so he says, "Come come on in. Come on in. You don't have to knock. You don't have to ring the doorbell. You don't have to have permission. You can come before me courageously and boldly because I am your father. Come to me. Come to me. Come into my house because it's your house as well. Come to me for your nourishment. Come to me for your needs because I know I know what your needs are. I, I, I know I'm, I'm aware of what's going on in your life. I'm aware of the challenges that you face. I, I'm aware of the burdens that you're carrying. He says, I can sympathize with you. And I want to be involved in your life. And I can sympathize with you because I've been there. I've been through what you've been through. And I can sympathize and empathize with you. And friends, for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, this is great news. Amen? For those of you that may be here today and you haven't accepted Christ yet and you're not trusting Him and you haven't placed uh, your faith in Him, can I just tell you today, this is good news for you as well. You're here for a purpose today. To hear the great news of who Jesus can be and will be in your life if you'll place your trust and your faith in Him. This is great news, and it continues on into chapter five. and what the writer's doing here is he's giving us a description of a, a priest. Basically what he's doing, he's trying to say he, he's trying to explain why he refers to God as this great high priest in the chapter before. So he's explaining the role of a priest in the Old Testament in order to help them and to help us understand our high, high priest, who, oh, by the way, is far greater. And so I encourage you, feel free to come back here to chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, because there's some good stuff in there. And as you begin to read it, you're going to start asking some questions about some things that are in there, and you're going to start chasing rabbits. And so I'm skipping it, okay, because we don't have time for me to chase rabbits today. But anyway, for the sake of time, I want to skip down to verse 11 this morning and look at what the writer says here in verse 11. He says, you know, I have so much to say about this. I could talk about him being your great high priest. I could go on and on and on and on about this. But it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. You no longer are trying to understand. So here's the deal. The writer has giving us this explanation of what he's talking about. He's explaining the importance of us having a high priest that we have access to and all these things. And then he basically stops. And he says, I know the drift that is happening. I know the drift in your lives that's taking place. He said there's a lot to be said about this and I could go on and on and on talking about this today but the truth is this I know and you know that you really don't care about any of this. You're you're not even really trying to understand this. You're just reading this letter in here today because you feel like you need to check a box. Ouch. Probably the clearest translation of this verse comes from the message, a paraphrased uh, version by Eugene Peterson. Here's what it says in his interpretation of this passage. I have a lot more to say about this, but it's hard to get it across to you since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. That offends me. Because we live in a world where we have a right to be offended, right? And this is offensive. If he put that on Facebook, that'd rip him a new one, right? I don't know what that means. I'm sorry I just said that. (laughs) You'd unfriend him. Or at least unfollowing. That's what I do to a lot of y'all. I don't, I don't unfriend you. I want you to think I'm your friend, but I ain't seeing a thing you're putting out there because I've unfollowed you. <laughs> y'all think I know everything that's going on in your life, and I don't have a clue. I don't follow anybody that goes to this church, but I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, lo- I love keeping up with y'all and <clears throat> what you had for supper last night. Like, we really care what you had for supper. But, uh, chasing a rabbit, aren't I? But you see, what, what he's addressing here, it's like, you know, I'm going I to explain this, but just time out. I know and you know what's going on here. Right? And, and you see, this is, this is what happens when we start that drift That we've been talking about the last few weeks. Uh, We begin to drift away. From Jesus. We begin to drift away from the things of Jesus. That leads to us drifting away from the family of Jesus. And you know what? And then that ultimately brings us to a point to where. I don't want to hear the truth because it offends me I I don't want to hear the truth I don't don't want to hear you telling me that I'm drifting because it's none of your business and I'll go to a church that makes me feel good about myself you know and we don't mean for this to happen That this is not some bold brash decision that we get up in the morning and say you know what I'm going to start drifting. I'm going to just start distancing, distancing myself from Jesus. I'm going to start distancing myself from the things of Jesus. And I'm going to start distancing myself from the family of Jesus because they offend me. Right? It's not this bold decision that we just wake up one day and, and decide that we're going to make. It just gradually happens. Unknowingly most of the time. And so that's kind of where these folks are at. And I believe that God inspired the writer to include this in this letter and in His holy word, so that you and I would have it today because He knows where some of us are at. We don't mean to, but the drift is happening. And you begin to lose your interest in the things of God. You begin to get bored with it. You begin to disagree with it. You begin to find fault with it. That's what the writer of Hebrews is clearly addressing here. He's just like, time out. Time out. Their faith. Their trust in Jesus. Their hope in Jesus as the Messiah And as their Savior is not really their focus anymore. You see, they've started focusing on the things that they are comfortable with. They're going back to their old ways of thinking, their old ways of living. They're beginning to focus on all these different things. And and I talked about it earlier in the series, I think in week one, where if if we wanted to bring this into more closer history of the church to us than to them it would be focusing on pews or chairs in the building singing out of a book or singing words on a screen do we have drums in the sanctuary or not been those kinds of things totally losing their focus do we clean the steeple or do we leave it looking horrible anybody notice Huh? We cleaned the steeple. Some of you have been requesting it for three years, and we just wanted to see how long it would go before you got mad. Um, (laughs) Nobody got mad that I know of. But within two hours of us having it cleaned this week, I got a picture and a text from someone in the church that said, steeple looks awesome. But can we get hung up on stuff? Can we begin to drift and focus on things that are not far greater than our Savior? So what is the writer of Hebrews? What, what's he wanting out of them? What, what's he wanting them to learn? Well, he's wanting them to learn more about Jesus, right? Right? He's wanting them to be more focused on their trust in Jesus, on their faith that they have professed in Jesus. He wants them to be as passionate about Jesus as they are other things in their life. He wants them to be focused on Jesus because Jesus is far greater than anything else or anyone else. So he's reminding them about where their focus needs to be. But they have began this drift away from Jesus and this drift away from the things of Jesus and this drift away from the family of Jesus. And he goes on to say in verse 12, he said, In fact, though by this time you've heard enough and you know enough, you ought to be teaching this stuff. That's what he's saying. You, you, by, by now you ought to be teachers. But instead, you still need someone to teach you these elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And what he's saying here is listen, you know what? You've drifted, I get it, but you've drifted so far away that sometimes the best thing to do is just to start all over again. Go back to the beginning. And start all over again. So, so let's go back and, and let's review because obviously your teacher gave you a pa- passing grade, but you have not retained what you learned, right? And so let's go back. But by now, it, you ought to be teaching this stuff. But instead, I'm still having to teach you and I'm having to reteach you. And this is elementary stuff. We got to at some point move on from this. And he continues in verse 13. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. And and we see that word righteousness and it's a word that's used in the church and and, and in spiritual connotations all the time. And uh, We don't really understand what that means, but it's not that hard. Righteousness just simply means being right with Jesus. And he says, you know what? If you were right with Jesus, you wouldn't still be on the milk. Because you can't still be an infant and understand and be acquainted with this teaching about righteousness because righteousness is your next step. You see, you graduate from the milk into being right with God. And when you're right with God and you're in right relationship with God, that's when you begin to mature and grow and be who He wants you to be. You've created on purpose, for a purpose, right? And and so when we take this step of being right with Him, focusing on Him, trusting Him, placing our faith in Him, making it about Him and Him alone, you move from the milk to the meat. You, You graduate from milk, you graduate from elementary school. And you see a lot of people think that righteousness and grace are the milk and the meat is us figuring out how we're supposed to act. The meat is us trying to figure out how we're supposed to dress and how we're supposed to sing and uh, and all these other things, right? How we should look. But the opposite is what's being communicated here by the writer of Hebrews. The milk and the elementary truths of God and who God is and what God expects of us as children is this trust and this faith. This is the elementary part of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that you trust him. And that your faith is in Him and Him alone. Right? This would be uh, the, the things that, that they're drifting back to would, be, uh, would really be the milk. The elementary things. The you know, things they had been taught all their life from the Old Testament. And so the writer is saying to them and to us. You've gone back to your old stuff. You've gone back to your old way of living. You've gone back to your old way of thinking. That's elementary stuff. That's baby stuff. You should have moved on by now. You should have that, right? But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we've got to graduate from that elementary stuff and get to the meat. Verse 14 says, but solid food is for the mature." So this kind of goes back to what we talked about last week. The Jews are wanting to hold hands with Jesus and keep holding hands with Moses at the same time. They've gone back to the milk. They've gone back to the law. They've gone back to the rules, to the check boxes of Moses. Instead of graduating and maturing to the meat, which is Jesus, and Jesus is far greater. Solid food. Is for the mature. So, how does that maturity happen? How does it happen? How do we graduate? How do we get out of elementary? How do we go from being students to being teachers? Well, you do it by determining who you're going to trust and who you're going to place your faith in. You see, it's up to you. Ultimately, it is up to you whether you're going to be an infant or whether you're going to be mature. I want to show it to you, or, or let me let the Apostle Paul show it to you because he's got a lot more uh, credibility than I have. Paul writes 1 Corinthians. Some believe that he wrote Hebrews as well, and, and that may be true. I'm, I'm not going to debate that, but uh, we know pretty much for certainty that he did write the first and second letters to the church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul makes this massive statement. Uh, about his maturity and his progress in his journey of following Jesus Christ as his Savior. And we see that it involves this. Don't miss this. A decision that he made. You see, he's going to remind us here that this is about a decision that you make. He re- uses the word resolved. Let, let's look at it there and. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, For I what? I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because He is far greater, He is all that truly matters. He said, I resolved, which means this I was determined. I am determined. I am committed to this. This is what you got to be committed to, friends. Paul says, I am committed to this. And listen, Paul had the Old Testament law memorized. He knew it better than anybody would know it. He knows the law. He's an expert of the law. He's an expert in all the rules and regulations and all the things of Moses. He studied it. He knows the milk. And listen to what he says. He says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you. To know anything. In other words, I've taken all of my knowledge. I've taken all of this stuff that I was comfortable with. I've taken all of my study. I've taken all of the milk and I put it on a shelf. I'm putting those things away. And I'm resolved now. I was resolved with you and I'm going to be resolved until the day he takes me home. That I am going to focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because that is all that truly matters. I'm gonna focus on him. And friends, that's maturity. That's how we grow, that's how we mature. We don't, we don't need the milk anymore. We don't need this elementary school kind of stuff in the church anymore. But we don't need it. He is enough. Our Savior is enough, and He is the key to your growth. He is the key to your maturity and my maturity. He is the key to our growth as a church and our maturity as a church. Friends, I'll tell you, we don't need a new church, man. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. And we need to be focused on the good news of the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Because through Him, we are resurrected as well. And we have new life. All we need is Him. Back there in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14 that we looked at earlier, the word mature is used there, and it actually means complete. Complete. I love that. We will be complete. Here's the thing, friends. You cannot make yourself complete. You will not be complete without Him. You can't make yourself complete. Even if you followed every law, followed every rule that was ever written, you cannot do it. But if you'll trust the complete one, the sinless one, then you can have wholeness. Then you can have completion and fulfillment in your heart and in your life. You see, maturity happens to those who, like Paul, stop trusting in what they know. Stop trusting in what they think they know. Stop trusting in the fact that they're right and everybody else is wrong. To stop trusting in the fact that the government's going to bail us out of this mess. Stop trusting in the fact that somebody we'll vote for is going to change things for, for better. Friends, if we will trust the sinless one, If we will trust the complete one, then we too will be made complete in him and through him. Paul says, Stop trusting in your knowledge. Stop trusting in all of your experiences. Stop trusting in what you can do. And instead, make a decision. Be resolved. Be committed. Be committed to spend the rest of your days resolved to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Committed to, determined, resolved to make Him the priority in your life and in your family. That's maturity. And friends, together, you and I, as the church, we can be mature. We can move on past the milk. We can graduate from elementary school. We can do that. And friends, this is my passion as your pastor. I don't know if you know it or can see it. But this is my passion for you. This is my passion for me. This is my passion for the body of Christ. That we would mature and grow in Him. As we focus on Him and the work that we've been called to do. That we as a church would really grow and be complete. In Christ. And the only way to experience real and deep growth is by going to the meat. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to be done with the milk. Amen? I'm not an infant anymore, and you're not either. We're not children. A lot of you ought to be teaching it instead of still being retaught it. We're not kids. I'm a mature son. You're a mature son. You're a mature daughter. Eat from the meat. Approach Him boldly and with courage. Come into His presence daily because He desires to be in a good relationship with you. That's maturity in Christ. That's maturing. Jesus... It's far greater than milk. This morning, we want to close with a time of prayer. And I, I, I want to invite anyone that would like to come and pray this morning to come. Maybe God spoke to your heart and you're just like, I need to go pray. I need to move on. I need to graduate. Today, I, I, I'm going to commit. Today, I'm going to be resolved. Today, I make the decision. To move on and move with Jesus. And this morning, if that's you and you would like to come pray, I invite you to pray. If you would like to come and pray this morning for for someone in our church. We have several people that are battling cancer. Several people that are battling uh, the loss of a loved one. So this morning, maybe you would just like to come pray for somebody or come pray for a situation a decision you need to make or something that your family's going through. I I don't know, but if you need to come, come. I can't think of another way to ask you than if you want to pray at altar, come to the altar. And we'll close together with a word of prayer. Dear God, we come to you today uh, as a family. It's who we are. We've accepted you and trusted you as our Savior. We're, We're brothers and sisters. And I thank you this morning for this reminder We hear all the time that your word is active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And you use it to do your work in our hearts and in our lives. Sometimes it hurts. And Sometimes it's offensive. Most of the time it's encouraging, though to know that you love us enough and care about us enough to want us to be complete to grow into maturity as part of this family dear God I thank you today for guiding the writer whoever it may be that wrote this letter to pen those words and say, let's just take a time out here and obviously aware that there's some drift taking place and it's time that we were resolved to continue on to come back I thank you for the opportunity to come back I I thank you that you're not a one time God that uh, you're constantly drawing us you're constantly calling us You're constantly inviting us. It's our decision. So I thank you today for what you're doing. I know you're at work. Your your word works. And so I know you're at work today. And I thank you for what you're doing. (laughs) And in a family this size, there's a lot going on. People that are sick. People that are hurting. People that are going through some battles right now. First off, God, I pray that uh, we would step alongside them as our brothers and sisters and go to battle with them. Whether it be the cancer, the loneliness, the chaos confusion God you're not the author of chaos and confusion you're the author of peace so God today we approach you we swing the the door to heaven open because we can and we're running to your side and we're asking for your help for those that we love I thank you for the good report that Randy got this week and God I just pray that you continue to touch his body physically renew his strength renew his life give him good days dear God I thank you for the good report that June got and just pray that you would be with her as she recovers and is restored back to health. God, we thank you for how you've worked in that situation. I pray for a good friend, Bob Kennedy, my brother. Been battling the last few months. And he lays in the hospital bed today. And I know he would love nothing more than to be here with us. But God, you are there. And I trust that he is felt your strong and powerful presence in that hospital room today we pray for healing for his body I pray for strength and rest comfort for his wife I continue to pray for my good friend Bill I thank you for the good report he got after his cancer surgery God and I pray that you restore his health God, I know that there are some situations going on in our family here that we don't need to talk about out loud, but there are some battles, there are some wars, there are some situations going on that are extremely difficult. There are some parents that are losing sleep at night over situations that their kids and their grandkids have found themselves in. You know, each and every one of those situations and God, I pray that you would give that parent and that grandparent peace and rest tonight, knowing that our warrior stands to battle with his sword drawn on behalf of his kids. So God, I pray for strength, help, wisdom, and comfort in those situations pray for charlotte's mother this morning that's there in critical condition in the hospital and more questions than answers right now but i pray that you would touch her body and be with charlotte her family is they're there with her god and we also pray for the other churches i'm so grateful and so thankful that we're not the only ones tasked with sharing you and the good news of who you are with this world but there are great people who are part of our family brothers and sisters in Christ that are meeting all over this place all up and down these roads all around this world today and God while we would love you to see something do you Love to see you do something amazing and miraculous in us and through us. God, if not here, then there. In their church. Give them fruit for their labor. Give them fruit for their faithfulness. Give them meat. Help them to graduate from the milk as well. And move on into completeness that we can have in and through you. I think of our friends down at Emmanuel. Church, been in this community a long, long time, and you've done a lot of good work in and through those people. Continue to use them for your good and your glory. Continue to use us for your good and your glory. I pray that as we go from this place, that we would be beautiful representatives of who you are. We would represent our Father well in this world so that people would know you and see you. Help us to move on from the milk today. Make a conscious decision to move forward, to move closer, to be bolder, to be resolved. And I thank you for those that have made that decision today. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray if you would stand with me this morning as we're dismissed with this reminder that we are the children of God and the people of God in our benediction. If you would please read it with me before we go. Lord, let us go out into the world in peace and dedicated to your service. Let us hold tightly to that which is good, supporting the weak, helping the needy, and honoring all people. May the strength of God sustain us. May the power of God preserve us. May the hands of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the love of God go with us this day and forever. Amen. Don't you ever forget that I love you and God loves you more. God.